0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 411 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm your co-host and CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre where you'll find a wonderfully supportive writing community and some fantastic writing courses. I'm here with Alison Tate, author extraordinaire. Her latest book is The Firestar, A Maven and Reeve Mystery and her next book is The Wolf's Howl.
1: How are you, Al? Well, um, as opposed to the spin cycle I was through in last week, I'm just mm-hmm. I'm back to fair to middling. I'm just okay. getting on with my normal life, kind of navigating my oldest son through some English assessments
2: for his GCSE. Oh, okay. Yes. Know.
1: Well, when I say navigating, I'm not actually doing anything except asking him if they're done <laughs> on a regular basis. <laughs> so have you done them? Are you up to? Is it finished? I'll be done. You know, he's just like, oh, really just love
0: that. Well, it's
1: just you got to make sure it gets done like I, yes. I just can't even begin to explain how difficult getting things done can be sometimes but anyway oh, yes. that's what i'm doing <laughs> uh, what about you what are you doing
0: goodness me what am i doing mm, i'm reading i uh, finished tidying my my bookshelf of all my writing books oh i must post that pic actually um and uh I am still loving my vacuum cleaner. I was
1: gonna say, you're vacuuming, <laughs> aren't you? Oh, yes. I was waiting for it. I, I must apologise to to our um, to our lovely listeners for the complete hysteria that the whole vacuum cleaning conversation put me into it. I just <laughs> lost my mind. What can I say? Uh. There you go. Let's move
0: on then to the world of writing and publishing. We have a post that is uh, on the Australian Writers Centre blog and it's called Eight Tips for Running an Online Writers Workshopping Group, which is so relevant in the current situation of the world because hmm. many people have belonged to writers workshopping groups where they meet in a pub or in someone's house, like once a month or whatever and um, exchange manuscripts and critique each other's manuscripts. However, if you can't access one or yours keeps getting cancelled because of lockdown, then an online version may actually work. Hmm. So this has some great tips. And some of them are relevant whether you run an online group or a face-to-face group.
2: Uh, To be honest Um, with you, I think
0: they all are. Well, really,
1: You could take them into the real world or not. I think you probably just have to be – a bit more, a bit stricter about some of them when you're dealing with an online group. Yes, yes. Mm. So
0: one of them is to be explicit about the rules and what to expect. And I think that is so important because like anything in life, people get disappointed when they have different expectations to what is actually going to happen. So when you set everyone's expectations and not only of what they're going to receive but what they're meant to give – that makes it very clear from the start what everyone is in for and that reduces the chance of disappointment right yeah that's so in right. terms of the amount of word counts that you expected to read or the um, the type of feedback you you expect to get that sort of thing yeah the other thing that's so important so true because I see this all the time is to decide on the size of submissions and stick to it because people get very cranky if you say okay you can submit a thousand words and everyone, uh, five people submits su- submit a thousand words and one pe- person submits three thousand. Yeah. And people get very, very cranky
1: and that yes, They never they say do. it
0: in front of you, they just say it
1: <laughs> at other times.
3: But see I would.
1: I'd <laughs> say, well, you know, the submission was supposed to be one thousand words. So I've read the first one thousand words of this and yes. this is my critique of that. Because I I'm just cranky in my old age, I guess, but I'm, I'm not over <laughs> it. Well, you know, like yeah, it is yes. about managing expectations, isn't it really?
0: Mm, mm. Mm, I think mm. an important one also is to choose a moderator or a facilitator for that particular session because and, <laughs> and or, maybe or, not me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> or Can maybe
0: you. <laughs> Because it does require somebody to keep things on track, otherwise things can get out of hand. And again, that underlying simmering resentment can build in some people and you just want to avoid that. Wherever If it's fair to everyone, and this applies, it's true, whether it's online or in person, somebody should have that role so that no one gets cranky if, you know, time is cut off because, you know... That's it's been agreed that that person has that role to cut off the time at the appropriate spot. So I think choosing a moderator is really, really important rather than letting it be too
1: free-flowing. So No, that's right. Yeah, yeah I think, you know, and setting the length of time for feedback is important. Like you want to set a yeah. time for the workshop meeting, you know, do it on Zoom or whatever you're going to do, mm. Give divide it up and then say you've got this many minutes to do whatever it is you're going to have to do. Um and you get, you know, if you've got four people submitting three to 5,000 words every, you know, few kind of meetings or whatever, then that writer gets half an hour of feedback. Mm. Um, it doesn't leave room for chit-chat. So if no. you're going to do the social stuff, which is important part of, of, yeah. of a writer's group, or don't get me wrong, but you need to do it outside that window. Like you've got to… Yes. Because yes. otherwise, you know, you're going to have someone who's sitting there going, I just want to get this done, yeah. and someone else is talking about their vacuum cleaner. <laughs> and, you know, it's just and, – and you end up with frustration. It, 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 and a good writer's group is only as good as, A, the moderator. Like, yeah. you know, I joke, that I'm actually pretty good at this um, <laughs> because I'm firm, very, very firm. Mm-hmm. Um and also the, the people who participate. And you need people to participate fully. It's not just about turning up with your 500 words and waiting for the glowing feedback. You know, you've got to put in the time to give meaningful and constructive feedback to other people as well. So yeah. set the length of time, you know, make it, you know, sort it out. Um Pamela, who wrote the post, also suggests operating by a first-come, first-served rule. So you discuss the pieces in the order in which they were submitted for, mm. you know, for feedback. That way there's no fighting over, you know, like who's going first and you went first last week and I did mm. this and you didn't do that. Um, and, I mean, I know I'm making this sound like a playground squabble, but it can it can disintegrate quite quickly. Yes, yes. Um, and I think it's also really important with that, you know, determining, like with regards to the length of feedback of not allow, like of making sure that everyone gets a chance to have their say and not allowing one person to dominate and everybody's been in a writer's Mm. group where that's happened and everybody knows how incredibly frustrating and infuriating it can be when one person dominates so the moderator has to keep the time and the moderator has to be able to manage the personalities which is not always easy which is why when you're putting your workshop group together think really carefully about the makeup of the group
0: yeah, absolutely. And one thing that isn't actually on the list, but I just thought of it then, and it's it is particularly relevant to online workshopping as opposed to Face to face workshopping is do yourself and your fellow workshopers a favour and go to Officeworks and spend the thirty bucks on a headset because it's yeah. there's nothing more frustrating when you're at the other end of a Zoom call and somebody hasn't got a decent mic or or they they have to <laughs> yell into their computer like this and it's really quite <laughs> jarring to hear you know so do you I think- know what we could all have done without that
1: but whatever. <laughs>
0: Nice demo, Val. <laughs> so it, you know if you then you can speak in a normal voice, it's actually less painful for your voice as well. So just spend the thirty dollars on a headset with microphone, and you will sound so much better, and the other people will be able to hear you better, and you will also be able to hear them better. So mm. I highly encourage people to do that if you use Zoom or any kind of online meeting um.
1: Yeah, oh, and can I also basis. say one other thing that isn't here, but I would probably put here is choosing a time when everyone can be there without distractions.
2: Mm. One of the great
1: joys of, an, of a face-to-face writing group is that you go somewhere, like yep. a library or whatever, and you sit there and you focus. When everyone's at home on their Zoom, it's it's not it's not always that easy. I understand that, but if you've got someone there trying to kind of give feedback on, on someone else's work and then you've got someone in the picture with like the, a kid coming every, every five minutes asking for snacks or you've got the dog bounding through or you've got, you yeah. know, the, the builder on the roof or, and I'm actually speaking about my own house here so <laughs> I do understand. Um, You know, it, 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 it's, it's incredibly distracting for everyone else. So try to have it at a time when you can all focus. Give your other workshop members – the gift of your focus. I think it's really important. Mm
0: -hmm. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to our competition this week. We have a cozy winter reading pack of five books. One lucky winner will score an awesome bundle of books to brighten up their life and bookshelf. These new releases are sure to keep you entertained with lots of different genres to delve into. So we have In the Book Pack, You Had It Coming by B.M. Carroll, Small Acts of Defiance by Michelle Wright, Echo Lalia by Bryony Doyle, Angel Mage by Garth Nix, and Vanished by James Delaghi. So just go to writercenter.com.au slash win for this awesome book pack. Entries close on the 21st of June. That's writercenter.com.au slash win.
1: Now, Al, are you ready for the word of the week? I'm just going to say yes, because then we can just move, move through it as quickly as possible.
0: Yes, because soon it might have its own podcast. I so-
1: <laughs> can't believe you've taken that idea seriously.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Adrian Beck. Uh, okay, so the word of the week is rebarbative,
1: R-E-B-A-R-B-A-T-I-V-E, rebarbative. You heard of that? I have heard of it, you know, but I don't, I don't think I could tell you what it meant. Aha. Uh-huh. So, mm-hmm. it's quite but a fun word. But I know word. that you'll be able to tell me what it meant <laughs>
0: because that's what we do. Um, the meaning is quite simple. It is an adjective meaning unattractive, fearsome, or repellent. So, you might say the rebarbative extensions ruined the old building. Hmm. Mm. <laughs> but I do love where this word, uh, like what where this word came from. Rebarbative comes from the French Rebarbatif, t-i-f, which means to face each other, beard to beard, Beard or (laughs) yeah, face each other, beard to beard, or face each other aggressively. So rebarbatif, which means ugly, is also related to the word barber, beard Um, to beard barber. But barber is where you go to get beautiful. (laughs) There you go, rebarbatif beard to beard. (laughs) So that is the word of the week. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre and our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1. This course is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Kanina May has done several courses at the Australian Writers' Centre and her women's fiction novel, The One, was published by HarperCollins. Here's what she says.
3: My name's Kanina May and I'm an author. I've done several courses for the Australian Writers' Centre over the years and they've definitely made me become a published author. Before I started doing courses, I was working in television production. I loved this and have always loved story. The creative writing course really set me on the right path for getting the one where it needed to be. I had a few scenes that I thought were the start of the book, but after doing that course, I realized that that happened much later in the story and I needed to come back and start way beforehand. So it kind of put me in the right place for the story. Um, Additionally to that, I think it gave me just the motivation to keep going. I came away feeling really inspired and I knew that I wanted to complete it. I wanted to get my women's fiction book on the shelves. I'd been going to quite a few festivals where so many authors were saying how important it was to create an author platform. So I decided to take the plunge and enrolled in the Build Your Author Platform course. It's about creating yourself an online presence and being able to connect with other writers, other authors, whether it's fans or people that have written books. I had had an online presence for about two years before I got my book deal. So I had, had, I had made connections and I felt that when I did get the publishing deal, I already had a lot of authors that knew of me and were really genuinely happy that I had broken through and gotten that first deal. Through the course at the Australian Writers' Centre, I discovered a great writing community. I came away with the motivation and inspiration to keep on going. I definitely recommend the Australian Writers' Centre to, for any course. I think it's a brilliant place. I always listen to the podcast. It's always inspiring. I constantly want to do more courses. I think there's always more to learn. There's always places to be inspired. And there's always connections to make. There's friendships. I've got some great friends out of doing courses and meeting them at festivals and reaching out to other authors. Definitely go for it. If you'd like to find out more, go to writerscentre.com.au slash creativewriting.
0: All right, let's move on to our writer in residence this week. I had a good old chat with Sally Thorne, who is the USA Today best-selling author of several books. Uh, her first one, her debut novel, is <clears throat> called The Hating Game and is a major motion picture. Uh, she then released 99% Mine and her latest book is so-called, cool, it's called Second First Impressions. So let's have a chat with Sally Thorne. Thanks for joining us today, Sally.
2: No worries. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Congratulations on your latest book, Second First Impressions. Now, for those readers who haven't had a chance to read the book yet, can you tell us what it's about?
2: Okay, it's about a young lady who is starting to feel a little bit old. Uh, she works mm-hmm. in the front office of a luxury retirement villa. And just as she's thinking about maybe getting back into the dating scene and, you know, taking a little bit of life back for herself, um, she is mistaken for a little old lady by a gorgeous guy on a motorbike. <laughs> um, he, he turns out to be the owner of the developer who's just bought um, her retirement villa. And um, he's there and he needs a job. Now, Ruthie is a really nice person, but she wants a little bit of payback for that very insulting first impression. (laughs) Uh, So she has these two residents. They're called the Parloni Sisters, and their hobby is hiring handsome young men and um, giving them tasks as their personal assistant. Um, It's a terrible job. No one has lasted longer than a week, and Ruthie thinks, well, if I offer up Teddy... He'll be out of my hair in no time, but uh, to Ruthie's surprise, Teddy's no quitter.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, so how in the world did the idea for this book form?
2: Uh, It's actually a little daydream that a friend and I had when we worked in an office together. We Uh used to tell each other that when we were very old and when we were very rich, we were going to be roommates in a luxury retirement villa. And we were going to hire a young man to be our personal assistant and anything we wanted him to do, he would do. If we wanted some takeout at, you know, two in the morning, off he goes. If I drop, drop my Chanel key purse on the ground and it gets a scuff, he's going to go get me a new one. So it was just a fun daydream that we had when we were in a really dreary office job, Um, and that's pretty much the basis of the story. I got to write out the daydream in full.
0: That's great. So it's obviously stuck with you for quite some time. Now, this is your third novel. The first one was The Hating Game, Mm -hmm. and the second one was 99% Mine. And The Hating game just went nuts (laughs) now it is a USA Today bestseller and is now being made into a movie did you think that that was going to happen when you for your debut novel
2: no I didn't even write it to publish it I wrote The Hating Game as a gift for someone for their birthday Mm -hmm. Um, and I had no intention of publishing it it was a gift Um, but I continued to work on it um, just on Sunday afternoons whenever I felt like I had time until um, I decided that maybe I should see if the book wanted to do a little bit more, should I let it out into the world, and mm. um, it has just really you know, taken on a life of its own, and I've just basically just let it go, and it's done its own thing, um, mm. and of course, I've had no expectations of this book at all. So um, I feel in a way like I was um, accidentally published. (laughs) And um, the movie deal, um, the the option sold quite early on the book um, that I was always told by everyone to just, you know, pretend that it won't happen so that you don't get disappointed. Mm -hmm. And I just put it in the back of my mind. um, And then when COVID happened, I thought there's no way that this is going to happen. But I think I was just really lucky that I wrote a book that is largely set in just a few key locations. You could almost mm. um, you could almost do it as a play, um, and so that was quite a COVID-friendly movie to make. They managed mm-hmm. to make that um, uh, in a COVID-safe way, and um, filming wrapped just before Christmas in 2020.
0: That is incredible. And so, wow. Um, at one point, did you know you wanted to be a writer?
2: Oh, I think I was probably in year five or year six. I had a great um, primary school teacher called Mrs. Raleigh. I love you, Mrs. Raleigh, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she always used to set us creative writing tasks. And when we were done, she'd always call on me to read my story out. And She just made me feel like I was so creative and just, you know, so good at it, Um, I really do think that she has a large part in in that, you know, you can't underestimate the influence a teacher on someone who's 12 years old can be when they're Mm -hmm. an adult, so... So tw- when you were 12 years old, that was a while
0: ago. So t- tell us, <laughs> like, you left school. <laughs> <laughs> and I- I'm not mistaking you for an old lady. Though. <laughs> um, um, when you left school, just give us a bit of an idea of uh, just a bit of a career history so we know what led you up to, you know, this point.
2: Sure. Uh, well, I... Uh, I went to uni and I did an arts degree, um, Bachelor of Arts at ANU, um, and I majored in film uh, and I got a couple of office jobs after that uh, and I really didn't enjoy them and every day just felt like an eternity. I was really mm. wishing my life away in these mm. kinds of jobs. Um, I got a really good job in the public service and um, it was the first time where I had you know, a pretty good job Pretty good money, still completely miserable. Um, the Sunday night horrors were bad. Like, oh, uh, I know what like you mean. Just mm. get me a morphine drip for those Sunday nights. Um, yes. <laughs> um, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, and it, it really does drain it out of you. And mm. if you're only living for getting your pay once a fortnight and you're living for Friday night, mm. it's, it's not, you can't maintain that long term. And during these jobs, I was not writing creatively at all. I didn't write anything creatively from high school through to maybe I was 28, something wow. like that. I didn't write wow. anything creative um, because I forgot that I was good at it. And I was wow. sort of casting around in my mind, trying to think like, you know, get a hobby, do something, create mm-hmm. something, don't just sit and consume And writing came to me as, oh, yeah, I used to enjoy that when I was younger and it doesn't cost anything. I've got a computer. I've got some electricity. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's give it a try. Um, And I started to just write little bits and pieces and I started writing some fan fiction. uh, Fan fiction for what? (laughs) <laughs> uh, I was in the Twilight fan fiction. Oh, okay. <laughs> which for a while, was my dirty secret, but uh, I don't care anymore. Um, heaps mm-hmm. of people that were writing Twilight fan fiction at that time are now um, published authors. Billionaires. Uh, my friends, <laughs> yes, E.L. E. James is certainly in that category. Yes. Um, and um, I think that it's it gave me heaps of experience with. Um, understanding what people really want to read and what gets them clicking on an update and wanting more. And um, I think a lot of the things that people say that they like about my writing is actually very sort of fan fiction-y style. Mm. So
0: you're in this job that you did were not enjoying and I know exactly what you mean because I used to feel Sunday night sick in my stomach mm-hmm. because I didn't want to go to work the next day when I was in a corporate job yeah. and so you're you're in that and you're you're guilty little secrets so you're writing fan fiction on the side at what point did that evolve into out of fan fiction and into what eventually became the hating game?
2: Uh, well, it was a friend that I met in the fan fiction community suggested to me that, um, if I wanted to get her, give her something for her birthday, she'd love a short story. Um, and in fan fiction, you often use a prompt word. Uh, she told me the word nemesis. And I imagined a guy and a girl sitting at desks opposite each other in an office. Um, so it was a silent office in my imagination and they were just staring at each other. And, I just started writing it and it just was really one of those weird out of body sensations where it like just wrote itself. Um, it only took probably a few weeks just on the weekends when I had time to like really, you know, like maybe, maybe five or six weeks, I guess, Mm -hmm. um, to do a 50,000 word first draft. Um, that is the complete basis of the hating game. Um, and From there, So I gave it to her. She loved it. Um, my friends, Christina and Lauren that I knew through fan fiction who are Christina Lauren published as the, um, Mm. absolutely phenomenal duo that is Christina Lauren. They'd always said Mm. to me, if you ever write anything original, could you give it to us? So I let them have a read and they said, could we pass this to our agent? And I said, sure. I thought nothing's ever going to come of that. Um, (laughs) sure go ahead why not i have no expectations i have nothing to lose um i've got to be at work on monday (laughs) and um then i got a an email from uh, my agent taylor Haggerty in the u.s saying can i talk to you are you talking to any other agents i'd like to represent you and i was completely taken aback you know people say to me how do you write a query for an agent i don't know unfortunately (laughs) yeah um I was um, incredibly fortunate um, that I just had this connection and uh, she showed me the list that The Hating Game was going to be put out to and I Mm -hmm. recognized all the names of those publishers and I thought, sure, go ahead. (laughs) Um, I might get some feedback or I'm sure that I'm about to get my heart broken. Like People say that this is a very torturous torturous, um, thing to do to yourself, but Mm -hmm. I had a two-book offer within a week. Um, so it all happened incredibly fast and, uh, I no longer have that dreary office job (laughs) and I pinch myself every day. I don't want to represent that. Um, this is, um, an easy job for me. It's, this is the hardest job that I've ever had. And I will ever have because unlike all of the office jobs I had, I'm never going to feel like I'm good at this. That was the problem in my office jobs. I was so bored because I learned how to do the job pretty Mm. quick. And then it was just like boring. But this is good for me. I always feel
0: like I'm not good. (laughs) When did you quit the office job?
2: Uh, Well, when I got my two-book deal, um, they wanted the next draft of book two pretty quick. So I took a year of leave without pay. Right. And then once that year came up, I just really had to make a decision. You know, am I going to go back to what I knew or am I going to really – kind of bet everything on myself here the hating game Mm. hadn't come out at that point I don't think so it was just really one of those do I stick with the safe thing that made me so miserable or do I just really take the jump so I jumped um and it all went really well the hating game still um continues to surprise me with how well it sells Mm. and um uh it's I really feel in a way that this book saved me, saved my life, and I guess I saved myself. Yeah.
0: That's fantastic. I mean, what an incredible gift on both sides you giving that gift to your friend, but also your friend asking you for that gift. Because if she didn't ask you for that gift, you know, history mm. would have been completely different, or your yeah. life would be completely different. Mm-hmm. So, in any of your books, how do you um, formulate the story? As in do you do that before you start writing or do you just have a bit of an idea, you know, and then start writing and see what happens?
2: Um, I think I start with the two characters that I can imagine them just standing in an empty room looking at each other Mm. and then um, I will probably – try to think about what kind of trope that I'd really like to write. So, I mean, I read a lot of romance books when I was growing up. I used to steal them off my grandmother's um, shelf and read them. And so I think I've read every single trope in romance before the age of, you know, 13. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so um, The Hating Game is obviously a hate to lovers book. Um, 99% Mine was a um, brother's best friend. Um, And... Second First Impressions, uh, it's a little trickier to work out what it is, but I think I would call it a friends to lovers. Mm. Um, and I think, I mean, I i don't outline. I usually have no idea what is going to happen next. It's incredibly <laughs> stressful. I do not recommend this method to anyone. Mm. Um, I guess I just I just know my starting place and I just work towards that first turning point in the story. Um, and uh, discover things along the way because I, I often will surprise myself completely with the things that I write and that's um, I kind of live for that.
0: But how about character development? How well do you know your characters before you start writing or or are you discovering them as you write as well?
2: Um, yeah, I just discover them as I write along. I don't expect my first draft to be a complete masterpiece. I think a lot of people write a draft and then they just feel – completely dejected by this doesn't match up with what looks it looks like in my head. Yeah. Um, for me, it really doesn't. They're all paper cutouts at the beginning and you just have to keep going back through and with each draft that you go through, give them different things that make them unique and will make a reader one day, for example, see a Smurf on a shelf in an antique store and take a photo of that and send it to mm. Sally Thorne because there were Smurfs in the hating game. You know, mm. like little quirks and little things like that can really stick in people's minds for a long time. Mm. Um, uh, but I don't, um, I don't really sit down and do like a detailed character worksheet. I don't know what they got on their 10th birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, um, I guess you just have to really work out what the character is um, most worried about or mm. wants to prove. I, I'm not coming on this podcast, um, saying that I'm an expert and I know how to do this. I still feel like I don't. (laughs) So, um, it's just a process, I think
0: yeah well, you're obviously doing something right, and it is all of and and it is individual to everyone we, we it's just mm. about sharing what works for us so with your second and third books, because the first one you wrote while you had a full-time job, so mm-hmm. the second and third you wrote um you know where 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 you could dedicate your time to it, can you give us an idea of um, firstly, about how long did the first draft take, but also can in when you're in the depths of that first draft, can you give us an idea of your writing routine for the day? Like do you aim for a certain word count or do you, you know, how do you kind of get the words on the page?
2: Hmm. Okay. Well, I'm gonna shatter some illusions by saying that <laughs> I have no routine. I have no method. Really? I, mm-hmm. have no, I have no. I have. no expertise. There are no hacks um, to give here. Uh, really, you just have to work out what length of book do you want to write. So my comf- My comfort level. I like to write a hundred thousand words. Um, mm-hmm. The publisher prefers a ba- maybe more like eighty thousand words. So, if you, um, if you know how much you want to write, you try to work out how long you want it to take and then you work out how many words a day and then you promptly do not make those targets at all and <laughs> you spend every day like bent over your keyboard with your head in your hands crying and having a breakdown and wondering where on earth you could be employed. <laughs> um, yes, I will. sometimes I will have that moment every single day. I'm not even kidding. Um, this isn't I for the first full year when I finished working in the office, I sat down mm. at my desk at, you know, nine thirty in the morning, cracked the knuckles, let's go, let's do this, let's really let's look like a writer. And it never worked. It never worked. I, I I tried and I pushed myself for so long, but um what what I've basically to anyone that doesn't know what I do for a living, I look like I've got no job whatsoever. And it's taken a long time to get comfortable with that and I often find myself explaining excessively to people what I've done all day or what I've achieved but a lot of my writing um I don't really come online mentally until six o'clock at night and then I will write start then and you can write all the way through until two you know like you got to find oh, what wow, got to find, so you yeah I don't you're like kids. a night writer I, I don't have kids I, I I don't have any restrictions on my life Mm. I can I can do it whenever I feel like it. And, mm. um, yeah, most of my best writing I've done, you know, past 1am in the morning.
0: Yes. Um, that's
2: when it really flows. You just have to understand yourself. I yeah. think if you can take anything from listening to me other than, wow, that lady's a hot mess, is <laughs> you've just got to find how you work best and you've got to work mm. with yourself. You can't try to force yourself into what you think you should look like mm. and how you think it will look to be a writer it doesn't matter how you get it done you just have to get the words down on the page yes and um if it if it's at two in the morning that you can do that then you've got to try if you can to adjust the rest of your life to fit that 2 (laughs) a.m.
0: Yeah, great advice because, you know, some people hear that the author that they love and respect or whatever has a particular routine and they try to emulate that routine and it just might not suit you. You have to Mm -hmm. do what actually works for you even if that's, you know, writing at 2 Um, Mm a.m. All right, so describe sort of like your writing environment. Are you the sort of person who you know, has a particular desk in your home or you you know, wanna be free and easy and work in cafes or on the sofa or or whatever.
2: Sure. Uh I have a room in my house which is full of all my toys and dolls and collectibles and my dollhouse. Um and this is where I wrote the hating game and every book since. Um you really only need to have a computer. Like hmm. you don't it doesn't ha- you don't have to have anything fancy. Um, I don't write in cafes because mainly I get really stressed out about what if I need to go to the bathroom, who's going to mind my stuff. <laughs> um, I guess if I, re- <laughs> if I really need to have a change of scene, I might go to the library, but I just do it all here. It means I can have my little dog next to me and, um, yeah, it's really a very, um, uncomplicated process.
0: So, can you give us an idea of the number of months, or however long it takes, for the first draft of second first impressions?
2: I would say, I'd say it takes me a year to write a book. Right. I mean, I've when I think about that, I can, I can as I'm saying that out loud, I'm feeling my ego and my my inner um, critic. It's saying to me, "Really, a year." You can't do it faster than a year. What are you doing with your time? If you just focused, Sally, if you just sat at your desk at nine and really concentrated really hard, imagine how many books you could write. But look, guys, outsmart yourself. Understand that things take as long as they take, and um, it takes a year. And Mm. um, that involves a lot of crying at my desk and also Mm. lying on my bed daydreaming and – sitting in the sun doing nothing, but cool. <laughs> i
3: yeah. been sitting in an
2: office hating my life um, and <laughs> the book gets done in the end. Um, so don't sweat it. Um, yes. There, there's no – just keep telling yourself that if you're at home and you're working on something. I wrote The Hating Game on Sunday afternoons when it was, you know, my t- like I had nothing else to do and I did have a full-time job. Anything's possible if you just mm. um, just try to aim for getting a the end and don't put pressure on yourself. Yep. The first book that you write will be the funnest book you ever write because mm. um, no one's waiting on it, you know what I mean?
0: Yes. And so when you're writing that first draft of your manuscript for a year, you're living with that story and that those characters day in and day out for a year. Mm-hmm. After your first draft – are you kind of sick of it <laughs> or are you and ready to move on or are you keen to kind of do second draft?
2: Um, well, by the time I've finished that and handed it to my agent uh, to my editor, sorry, uh, it's usually in a pretty good state. Um, so it's not, um, you know, if, if I'd been having significant problems with the story earlier than that, I probably would have um, had a Skype call with my editor or my agent to talk things through, but say, say we're talking, I've submitted that I've submitted second, first impressions. Um, then I will get, um, some like editing notes back from my editor. And then that process starts where she, um, you know, marks up the document with things that could be cut, things that are weird, things that are great. Um, and you make those tweaks and then you just sort of, put it backwards and forwards across the tennis net a few times until they say, it's great, done. And that's when the copy edits start. And that's when um, someone who is way better at spelling and grammar than you ever will be basically lets you know (laughs) that you're not good at it (laughs) by Mm -hmm. um, completely covering the document with um, uh, markups of every mistake. It's very humbling. And that's the point, I would say that's the point when I'm completely sick of it. I feel Mm -hmm. like they're personally targeting me um, and harassing me because (laughs) I don't know how to spell. (laughs) That's when I never want to read that book again.
0: What do you find, which aspect of the journey do you find the most challenging or the hardest part um, when you're writing a a novel?
2: I definitely think the first draft's the hardest because Mm. um, writing is really it's a job that's completely alone. It's mm. when I was in the office, if I didn't know how to do something, I could just go to someone and say, look, I'm really having trouble. Do you have 10 minutes? Can you sit down with me? But when you're a writer, you're on your own, you're out there in the middle of the desert in the dark <laughs> and you've got to work out, you know, how am I going to survive this thing? What have I got with me? What are my tools? What am I no good at? And, um, it's hard, you know. Anything mm. where it's you versus you, and you have to motivate yourself, and you have to keep believing that you can do something. That's really takes a lot of um, mental toughness, and I don't always mm. have it. And uh, I would say that's the most challenging thing: making stuff out out of nothing. Yeah, I mean, like it's it's really hard, and it's really hard to do in a way that feels authentically me and sounds like me and Mm. that people are going to read and love and want to reread certain sections and you know like it becomes a favorite Mm. you try not to think too far ahead you can't think about the finished product in someone's hand otherwise you'll you won't be able to put another word on the page but Mm. you know it's it's a big complicated thing and very very challenging
0: Hmm. And um. So we spoke about the uh, the the fact that the Hating Game was being filmed in a COVID-safe way. Um, were you uh able to visit the set, or I don't know where where was it filmed? Did you, were you involved very much?
2: Okay. Well, it was um, filmed in upstate New York. Um, <laughs> and if COVID hadn't ruined everyone's lives, <laughs> yes. I would have been there on set. <laughs> Um, I would have had a visitor's pass around my neck and I was going to be, um, looking into Lucy Hale's beautiful green eyes and, um, completely and utterly making a fool of myself. Maybe COVID (laughs) did save me from that potential humiliation. I don't know. Um, (laughs) I got to do a virtual set visit where my head was carried around on a laptop (laughs) like a a head in a jar in Futurama Mm. (laughs) Um, and I did get to meet Lucy Hale and Austin Stowell and obviously the director and everyone involved and I got to see the sets that had been made. It was really the most surreal part of it for me is that I just, I made something that's given other people jobs and it just blew my mind. It was very early in the morning and there were all these people setting things up and like unwinding like big long coils of, extension cords and I just thought wow I had an idea out of nothing and look now people are turning up they're turning up to work and doing the the job that they wanted to do the most based Mm -hmm. on something that I thought of it was a real honor
3: yeah in terms of my involvement
2: I um I got to read the screenplay and make notes Mm -hmm. um and they've just been completely fantastic um and Christina Mangert wrote the script um It's just so funny and I've seen the uh, rough cut Mm. and it's great. I'm so happy with it. Uh, It's a surreal experience that I wish that everyone could have Mm. (laughs) to see their own personal custom-made movie. (laughs) Mm. It was great.
0: Brilliant. I mean, how wonderful. So right now, um, obviously, Second First Impressions has come out. What's next for you? What are you working on in terms of writing?
2: Sure. Well, um, by the time a book's coming out and it's on the shelves, it was usually done and dusted about six months ago. Um, mm-hmm. So people, I've been asked a few times, you know, are you going to take a break now? Um, but this isn't, it, it's not like this is the, ver- the the end of the work. I finished this quite a while ago. So I have one more book on my current contract. Um, I've just finished my first draft for that. Um, and I'll have to see if the publisher likes it. They really don't know very much about it and it's a little bit different um so they'll either love it and say great we'll take it or "Hmm, this won't work write us another one and then i'll Mm. just have to try again and um maybe this one will find a home somewhere else who knows
0: I'm sure it'll be a cracker. Um, and finally, what's your advice for your top three tips for aspiring writers who, you know, <laughs> want to mm-hmm. write their novel one day and maybe get it made into a movie as well?
2: Uh, well, mm. I, I, I really did all of this by accident, as I have outlined many times in this yes. interview. That <laughs> I, <laughs> I have no specific tips because I didn't. I don't know how I did this myself. <laughs> I guess my tips would be work with yourself. And outsmart yourself. Understand what you know. What you're like. What's realistic for you. Don't decide to yourself that you're going to write write for an hour every night after dinner, when it's just not going to happen, and you're just going to feel terrible about it. Why not instead just say to yourself, "I'm going to write every Sunday afternoon," and I'm going to tell everyone that I'm not free. You know, I'm going to block out that time for myself. You can still write a book on a Sunday afternoon. Of course, you can. Um, and don't try, don't be me and try sitting at your desk at 9am, uh, when you are a 9pm person. So Mm. work with yourself, outsmart yourself. (laughs) That's tip one. Tip two would be don't try to anticipate any kind of trends. Don't think to yourself, oh no, I'm writing Mm. a book about robots in love. And that's just not a fashionable thing right now. No one's going to publish it. You know what, if it's a good book and if an agent or an editor could not put it down and they cannot deny that it was an absolute cracker of a read, then mm-hmm. of course it'll get published. Mm-hmm. Just just do your thing. Don't care about what the rest of the world is reading or wanting because um, when I published The Hating Game, it, they gave it an illustrated cover when um, all the books I thought had photographic covers and I thought, hmm, like any of the other books on the shelf, I don't know how this is going to go, but it worked out fine. Mm-hmm. And I guess my third tip—what would it be? Hmm. I'm not sure. I—I I think I think two tips is probably all I've got on me, to be honest.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's fair enough. Um, well, congratulations on second first impressions. Uh, I'm. I'm sure it's going to go gangbusters just like your other books. And thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode. What
1: are you doing in the coming week, Al? Uh, What am I doing? Uh, I'm preparing to head off to a local school and do three uh, workshop sessions. So I will be repeating myself over and over again for three hours, uh, I'm doing uh, – what am I doing? Ten Keys to Writing a Great Story. So it'll be fun. Oh, They're, cool. It's, it's actually a great initiative. They've decided to bring in this little, sort of school-wide competition where um, you, you, everyone can write a book and you enter a book into this competition. So obviously when we're talking about a book, we're talking about obviously various lengths and various things, but um, I'm going in to do some foundation work of, you know, story structure and how to cool. get it done. And, that, building a character and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, so totally super fun. Um, what fun. about you? What are you up to?
0: Um, I am, well, as you know, I do a lot of um, freelance and content writing. So I've realized it's time to invoice. So I'm going to be spending <laughs> half a day <laughs> going through all of the things that I've written and making sure I get paid for them. <laughs> oh, now there's a good day. That's a fun
1: time. But <laughs> yes. I can't believe, like, I know you well and I can't believe that you have not been on top of this. Is this because of the moon? Or is it because you've been vacuuming or is it because you had to move up?
0: <laughs> it's probably a bit of both. Yes, usually I'm quite like clockwork on this, but no, it's been very disruptive lately and I have been distracted by gadgets. So I, I need to get back onto it and get back mm. into uh, the swing of um, invoicing.
1: So where do we find you online out? Uh, you'll find me at alisontait.com, A-double-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at at Al tate, A-L-T-A-I-T. And you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison tate Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you? You'll
0: find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye.